Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, a man who pays rent, Mackenzie. And I'm joined once again by the lady of Muskoka, a woman who I have recently converted to my way of thinking. The lady who has been my longtime host, the John Adams of Canadian theater, the Canadian B. Arthur, mm. Autumn Smith. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Wow. It gets better every time. I know. Um, it's fantastic. And I just want you to know I'm 47 and have also paid rent for an extremely long time. Exactly. Exactly. And so you've made it through, everybody. We're through season two. This is our final episode the big grand finale the grand puma as it were and autumn what is our show that we are talking about today well we ending season two already alluded to it several mm -hmm. times it is the smash musical sensation of the 90s rent how do you write a song when the chords sound wrong though they won't sound it right and Sour, where is the power you once had to ignite the air? And we're hungry and frozen. There's a life that we've chosen. How are we gonna pay? How are we gonna pay? How are we gonna pay? Last year's rent. How are we gonna it's... pay? Which I've also right. often asked myself many times. However, oh, we've all asked it. It's all, it's always happened. Exactly. It's always Exactly. Happened. We've always figured out how to pay. Unfortunately, we have never been the people to go, we're not, we're just not going to pay our rent. Because you know, what happens then? It's stealing. We get out. Exactly. We actually have a special guest with us today. Woo! My theater twin, as it were. The lady who is also the voice on your Alexa for the news. And it is my dear friend, the uh, Alfie to my Galinda, Ms. Jessica Maxwell. Hello, Jessica. <laughs> I love that introduction. Um, I'm Thank only you. partially, only partially the voice to um, Alexa. Only if you're asking for global news information. <laughs> That's, That's still so cool. cool. Yeah. Well, you don't even need Alexa. You can use Siri as well. I'm going to test this out later. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a funny way of how you have to say it. Um, like, I think you have to say Siri play global news is top headlines or something like that. You have to play around with it. <laughs> okay. Could you record those every day? Yeah. That's a cool gig. It's pretty cool. Right? One of the many things I do at my job. <laughs> my title there at Global News is I'm a, I'm a content coordinator. So I basically take all of the different articles that, uh, that our, our writers write and I condense it into like one sentence and I tweak it so that they get displayed on all these screens. So I'm kind of right. like a little ticker writer, basically. Uh, and then those get also get shared on our morning show, like the Global News morning show. That's and so cool. Yeah, it's it's a really unique job. And before before I started working there, I don't think and like I don't think anyone ever really realized that it was a job. So and I was like, because <laughs> I, I didn't I would I would wait for the subway and I would see the little blurbs and um, and I, I never thought that that was someone's job. So 
So that's seen by like a lot of people. And, uh, and then now kind of as, uh, as my job's grown, because I've been there for a little over three years now, um, I work a lot with like social media for global news. So we work on, on producing and posting, um, videos and, you know, our writers will send us articles and we need to kind of come up with like clever social cells so that we can share them on platforms all across the country. And, um, I'm one of one of three colleagues that oversees uh, our Instagram content as well. So it's definitely been a growing job over over the last couple of years. And as we were discussing, um, uh, I also I also do those. We, we call them news minutes, basically. Mm-hmm. So we take uh, four four top stories. So we take three hard news stories and one soft news. So kind of three more concrete news and one. Um, one like lighter story, record them, edit them, and distribute them to Google Homes, Amazon Alexa, and now Siri. So <laughs> I wear many hats at this job. <laughs> I love it. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But uh, aside from aside from my actual job, I do I do a lot of writing on my own on the side, and um, I a lot of my passion lies in the performing arts. So music yeah. and theater, and I've been a theater nerd and for for so long now and <laughs> i could go into all of that that's an entirely separate thing don't even know what a theater nerd is uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've never heard of that before <laughs> no 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 sounds cool though i want to yeah. be a theater nerd mm-hmm. yeah look me, me up people mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great that's a very cool job yeah it yes, is right i love it i love it <laughs> Yes. Yeah, Jessica has a very cool job. And I asked her specifically to come on for this episode because I knew that I would not talk too kindly about the show. And I felt that we needed a voice on this show who could uh, give some positivity to this musical. That's Sorry, that support. Is- that's exactly true. exactly that's but true Mackenzie does not like rent <laughs> no no that's no. this has been one of our long-running friendship uh debates where I've always liked another show and Jessica has always liked this show so we have debated this since we met way back in September 2008 Oh, on, on day say two it like grade that. nine. <laughs> hey, it's a long time. Did it is. Grade nine. Yeah. Grade nine. Grade nine, Mr. Welch's Portable 303. Oh my gosh, you still remember. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. I just oh, want yeah. to say thank you to you both for making me feel very old. Right. <laughs> 2008. Yep. What was I doing in 2008? I, I don't even remember. I was running a theater company. That's what I was doing. So you guys weren't around. You weren't alive when this debuted. No, we, we were. were. Yeah. 1994. We, were just, we were just babies. Little. little babies. What year were you born in? 94. 94. Boom. Sarah even went, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sarah's Not- making a, 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 an appearance, everyone. It's I love it. I love it. She's been away for almost all of season two. I know she's been she's been working very very hard. Working to pay the rent. She's working to pay ah. the rent. <laughs> all right. So Autumn, you chose this musical as my penance for Titanic. 
So why don't you tell us why you exactly yeah. thought this would be a great end to season two? Well, it is the turning point, really, of musical theater. Mm. I think it is a quintessential musical that brings us into the modern age. It takes us out of the epicness of Lloyd Webber and, you know, uh, the specificity and epicness of one Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> I just separate those two because yeah, Sondheim yeah. is, you know, far superior. People don't hate Agreed. me. Um, and uh, this brought us into a new rock musical age. And it, uh, it really um, dictated its time and place really well. It, mm -hmm. uh, we'll get into its relevance, but during this time, this period of time, the whole world was in this neo-liberalism kind of state, very centrist left. Multiculturalism was on the rise in North America. Um, we were starting to diversify our stages, which was really exciting and giving voice to people that we hadn't heard stories from. Um, and, you know, it was also the rise of entitled teenage uh, narratives. You have Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. You have uh, Claire Danes and Jared Leto in My So-Called Life. Uh, you have Party of Five. You have Beverly Hills 90210. They were all coming out. And you also had like the introduction of the internet and cable TV. Things were happening that were beyond what I grew up with. And it was happening at a rapid pace. So everyone could be kind of entitled and uh, angsty and it was okay. In fact, it was more than okay. It was praised and it was mm. put out there. And we, it's funny, Mac, we got talking about this yesterday with falsettos yes. because we got talking about how it's such a beautiful story about family mm -hmm. and how, you know, it's different than rent because of its maturity level but it was a very immature time. The economy was booming. So everything was fast. People were buying. We weren't in a, we weren't in a place of struggle. So uh, I chose it because I think it's a great snapshot of a particular time and place in our history. And it's crafted into one of the longest running Broadway musicals of our time. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. That is why I chose it. Yes. We'll get into other things about it a little bit mm -hmm. later on. Yes. And it was and also, just... it was also at a time when, you know, Miss Saigon had happened, correct? Yep. Miss Saigon was, <laughs> so, was, was it late 80s, early 90s? Yeah. We have another clever composer going, hmm, how do I rewrite an opera? And for a long exactly. time, I loved Bohème. I loved Butterfly. Now I see them as incredibly problematic pieces of work. <laughs> even though they're, even though both of those are are, are some of the most uh, <coughs> produced operas of all time. <laughs> it's because of the music. Yes. And I think the redeeming quality of Rent is the music. Like the actual composition of this piece mm -hmm. Some of it is really staggering. Agreed. So that's 
that's why it, I think it will endure. Fair. That is very, very fair. Ms. Maxwell, why did you choose to come on uh, for this episode when I asked you? Like, what, uh, what is it about rent that made you want to come on and talk about it? Oh, gosh. Um, it's, I've, I've been trying to, trying to think of the best way to, to express this and kind of the best way that I can go about it is I really do believe that um, uh, and anyone in, in the theater community, whether you're a writer, whether you're an actor, um, a director, um, even just a theater fan, it's one of those shows that just means so much to you. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're going through a particular moment in your life, whether it was that first musical that you ever saw, like we all have those particular shows that resonate with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, Rent was one of those shows. It was it was a huge part of of me growing up. It was um, it reintroduced my love for theater at a time when I kind of got a little distant from it. And mm -hmm. it's it stuck with me, you know, like it wasn't something where it was like a phase over time it still sticks with me. The music still sticks with mm -hmm. me. The, the lyrics, the, some of the characters overall message that the, um, uh, that the show has, it's, it's just mm -hmm. something that's, uh, that's gone, that's gone so beyond my teenage years. It's just stuck mm -hmm. with me that whole time. So mm -hmm. that's one of the big reasons why. That's awesome. So well put. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Cause you're right. We absolutely do have all types of shows that have stuck with us or have made an impression at a very particular point in our lives. I think that's yeah, very and, true for everybody. And I think, I think especially for us, for the ones who, who go to shows regularly, like mm -hmm. we see, we can see so many different shows like Mackenzie, I know you and I, and I'm sure Autumn, you as well, like we see shows all the time and mm -hmm. you know, you can go and see one show and you can be like, I really liked this show, but mm -hmm. it might not necessarily make such a lasting impression. Whereas with, mm -hmm. for me, a show like Rent definitely definitely did that for me and I can mm -hmm. I can name a I can name a whole bunch of other shows that have done that for me and mm -hmm. Mackenzie I know one's for you as well and yes um apparently we're not naming a certain <laughs> one that Mackenzie loves very much no we're not <laughs> no because no. everyone knows what it is already <laughs> yeah if you have listened to this podcast you know if you know you know his favorite musical is <laughs> if you don't you're fired <laughs> period Yes. Uh, Autumn, why don't you give us the plot rundown of this show? What is Rent about for those few listeners in the world who don't know what Rent is? Well, it uh, is, hold, sit back, sit back. I'm going to try to condense this. Oh boy. Um, Christmas Eve, Manhattan's East Village, two mm -hmm. roommates, Mark, a filmmaker, Roger, a songwriter, struggle to stay warm. Um, uh, we find out in the scene that Mark has been dumped by his ex, Maureen, who is now with a woman. Um, and then their friend, Tom Collins, magically appears. He's a, a, a professor of uh, computer age uh, philosophy at NYU. Uh, so he has a job, apparently. Very confusing. I never could figure that <laughs> one out. Um, but he's mugged before he enters their building. Then he meets his uh, potential love-to-be playing street drums. She saves him. She is Angel, a drag queen, uh, buys him a coat. Um, uh, Mark and Roger 
get this uh, unwelcomed visit from their ex-roommate and friend Benny, who is now their landlord, and demands that they pay rent. Oh, and, how terrible that you have of your landlord that you have to pay rent. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so uh, it is discovered that uh, Roger has is HIV positive. Tom Collins is HIV positive. Angel has AIDS. Um, the girl, Mark goes out. Roger's on his own, sings a song. Um, and then- Glory. One song, Glory. It's all there. Uh, this woman from downstairs comes up who doesn't pay rent either, Mimi. Um, but she is a, 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 a stripper, I believe. Yes. So- she makes with handcuffs. Pay rent. It's hard to say. Um, who is also HIV uh, positive? Also um, a drug addict. She flirts with Roger. They end up together. This is the really Cole's note version. Everyone. Um, mm. it, it just it goes from there. We meet the incidental characters Maureen and Joanne. Maureen is uh, Mark's ex. Uh, she puts on a staggering uh, performance art piece to oh, say, yeah, staggering to stay Alphabet City, which is where they live from the the fall of the capitalist regime known as Benny. Um, there's intricacies in the relationships. Mimi has dated Benny. Mimi is now with Roger. Um, they both find out that they are HIV positive. They bond more than they break up. Uh, Maureen and Joanne go through ups and downs. Mark mm -hmm. is solo. Tom and Angel uh, are in love, but then Angel dies because of AIDS. And then it's 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 kind of, it's a, a big melodrama opera with rock music. Yes. It's it's that is it's just basically the lives of people who are struggling artists but they're well it's more complicated because of the hiv aids uh mm -hmm. question yes it's based on la boheme mm -hmm. by puccini uh, which is by puccini who we already talked about in our episode of miss saigon because he was also the dude responsible for writing madame butterfly if you can remember Yes. Yes. Go back onto that episode. A great episode. There's bigger, there's lots of things that resonate in this piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's yeah. interesting. And we get this, we get the character of Benny, who is, you know, a, a, as wonderfully performed by Tay Diggs in the mm -hmm. original and in the film. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. We, we vilify this character and yet he is a black man. He's not a villain. He's not a villain. Not a villain. I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> he is, um, he's trying to survive the same way Fagan was trying to survive. But he's, he's trying to survive. He's also trying to improve his neighborhood. <laughs> Going back in <laughs> and giving back and trying to improve it. He was someone that was akin to Roger and Mark, struggling mm -hmm. artist who actually made something of himself. That should not be demonized. Mm -hmm. He was successful. His success- Exactly, especially because he was a black man. I, and he was a black man. 
Um, yes. This would be, he would be a villain if he were a white man. I find it interesting yeah. that the two protagonists in this piece are white men, Mark mm -hmm. and Roger, and the villain mm -hmm. is a black man. Mm -hmm. I think you need it to- It would even call that. Benny a villain. I mean, honestly. People do though, because they're like, oh, I'm an angsty artist. Ugh. Get out, of, I wanna yeah, but, live on the poverty line. Yeah, but What's Benny- up, everybody? I've lived yeah, on yeah, the poverty line in no, <laughs> it is no fun. Yeah. I, when I lived in London, England, I lived on peanut butter sandwiches. It is not fun not knowing whether or not you can pay the rent. Mm -hmm. It sucks. Yeah. And there were times when I would go without heat. Not fun. It is not fun. Um, but here it's fun because it's a musical. It's, it's, it's been glamorized for the stage. Why didn't I write this? Why didn't I write this? I know. Um, but so like Benny is a villain though. Like even like yeah. even like in general though. I mean like he has a whole song about giving back to his, to this community where he goes. We're gonna build an area where like artists can do film and music and record, and and and, and, and we're actually gonna kind of extort the, the rich people who live above us in these condos. I'm gonna build to pay yeah. for the studio, and it's like smart move. <laughs> like that's the way to do it. <laughs> It is, like, no. It, you have to look at the economic um, situation. This this whole thing, you know, it's just a whole commentary on the time and place. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just belt it out in your car and don't think too much about it. <laughs> be angsty if you need to be. But yeah. in the end, where this where this differs mm -hmm. from Bohem, which again is, you know, Bo Bohem was written about Bohemia and Bohemians, mm -hmm. right? Kind of like mm -hmm. uh, Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge, which also came out around the same time. Yep. Um, it is, you know, it the Bohemians were kind of self-absorbed artist types too but look it friends don't hate me it's what artists are very <laughs> narcissistic very about themselves it is not a genuine business <laughs> so so true jessica what who is your favorite character in rent like now that we've heard the plot and kind of discussed it a bit like who is your kind of go-to character of this show angel 100 uh, i love choice. angel mm -hmm. um i was i was watching rent the other day and uh i was i was thinking about it too because i think before like some of my favorite characters used to be um like mark and roger and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that and then i'm watching and i'm like no nah, angel's the one who's got her head on straight the most like mm -hmm. she's the one who's like <laughs> she she just knows what's going on and all the other characters seem to be more like um oh i'm having this problem i'm having that problem angel's like no way like today for you tomorrow for me like <laughs> angel's great that being said autumn why don't you tell us who is our creative team for this i only have two people that's so okay i have the writer composer lyricist 
and I have the director. Perfect. Um, they were the only ones that really popped up and finding the di original director was not easy either. Buried. Interesting. Buried. I know. <laughs> so the piece was written by Jonathan David Larson, who is mm -hmm. an American composer and playwright noted for exploring multiculturalism, addiction, and homophobia or sexuality. I don't even know if it's homophobia, but sexuality in his work. Mm -hmm. um, he, um, I'll get into his awards later. Um, he was born uh, in 1960 in White Plains, New York. He was exposed to performing arts, um, music, and theater uh, at an early age, played the trumpet, tuba, sang in a school choir, and took piano lessons. Uh, his favorite musicians were Elton John, The Beatles, The Doors, The Who, and Billy Joel, and he adored Stephen Sondheim. So some pretty good influences, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, he did musical theater throughout high school, playing many lead roles. Um, after graduating high school, uh, he attended Adelphi University in, in uh, Garden City, New York. Uh, with a four-year scholarship as an acting major, in addition to performing in numerous plays and musical theater. Uh, this was the point where he started to be a music composer. Um, he uh, graduated with a, a BFA and then participated in Summerstock uh, Theater Program at the Barn Theater in Augusta, Michigan as a piano player, and that's where he got his equity card. Oh, that was pretty cool. Um, he moved, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about his personal life. He okay. moved to a loft with no heat on the fifth floor of a building in Greenwich, uh, corner of Greenwich and Spring Street in Lower Manhattan, where he lived with various roommates, including Greg Beals, brother of Jennifer Beals. Now, ah. I'm older, so I remember Flashdance. Mm -hmm. But Jennifer Beals was the lead in Flashdance. She went on to then be in uh, a little lesbian rom-com called The L Word. Ah, I don't know if it was a rom-com. I don't know what it was. It was a <laughs> lot of, it was a lot of lesbians. That's all I know. It was a thing. <laughs> um, but you can tell I didn't watch it. Um, <laughs> so Craig was a journalist for Newsweek. Um, and, um, Larson went on to work as a waiter at the Moon Dance Diner, uh, where he continued to work composing and, and writing, writing stuff. But he also, at the Moon Dance, uh, trained his original Tom Collins, Jesse L. Martin. He was a mentor waiter to him. I love it. Well, you know, <laughs> I awesome. love that story because it just shows that we work in close-knit circles. Absolutely. So he's, he was building a community. Yep. Um, so he uh, lived in pretty crappy conditions. No money, mm -hmm. no property, just, just him working and paying. <laughs> Oddly enough. Um, his early creative works include Sacra Immoralinority. It's very hard to say. 
Sacre Immoral Anority. Uh, it was a musical that he wrote with David Armstrong and originally staged at Adelphi. Uh, it was mm -hmm. later retitled Saved, an immoral musical on the moral majority. Uh, it was a Brechtian themed musical cabaret and played for four weeks at Rusty's Storefront Blitz, a small <laughs> theater on 42nd Street. Love that. Uh, but they both won a writing award for it. So <laughs> that's fun. Uh, between 83 and 90, Larson wrote Superbia. Superbia. A futuristic rock retelling of George Orwell's book, 1984. <laughs> um, the, but the estate denied him permission to do it, of Orwell's estate, whatever. Um, but he had won the Richard Rogers Production Award and the Richard Rogers Development Grant. Um, however, despite performances at Playwrights Horizon, it never really took off. Uh, his next work was completed in 1991, and it was an autobiographical uh, rock monologue entitled 30 slash 90 or 30 over 90. Anyway, it was later renamed Boho Days and finally became Tick, Tick, Boop. Um, Which is being made into a film directed by Lumen Wal Miranda for Netflix. Awesome. Um, so I don't know this piece. I, we should probably listen to this piece. Uh, it's it good. Was I, I, written, I like it. Uh, for only Larson with a piano and a rock band and intended to be a response to his feelings of rejection caused by the disappointment of superbia uh it was performed off broadway um and then uh it, a stage version premiered off broadway in 2001 uh and has also since been produced in the west end um 92 he wrote a um another piece called sacred cows uh which is available apparently on itunes um <laughs> And then uh, playwright Billy Aronson gave him the idea uh, to do a musical based on La Boheme. Yes, we will get into that whole backstory momentarily. Yes, so I'm not really going to touch it. Mm -hmm. um, so he wrote Rent. It was a mega hit, huge mm -hmm. success. He never got to see it. Uh, Jonathan Larson died unexpectedly the morning of Rent's first preview performance off-Broadway, which I think is a tragedy. Uh, he suffered an aortic dissection, believed to have been caused by undiagnosed Marfan syndrome. Um, it was uh, later stated by the New York State medical investigators that if they had found it sooner, his, his life could have been saved. Uh, he actually died on Jessica's birthday, January 25th. I was just yes. going to say that. <laughs> he did. 1996. Not the yeah. day you were born. Not the no. day, but no. Good. I won't even ask what day you were born. 94? Yeah. 94. Her and I are both 94 babies. Happy second birthday right there, right? Yep. Um, so uh, that's very tragic that he died because mm -hmm. I think he was uh, an incredible incredible emerging voice in, in musical theater. Mm -hmm. um, his legacy, however, other than Rent and Tick, Tick, Boom, 
um, uh, his parents, his family and friends started the Jonathan Larson Performing Arts Foundation. Uh, and it provides monetary grants to artists, especially musical theater composers and writers to support their creative work. Um, it's administrated through the American Theater Wing. Uh, his work is also um, in the Library of Congress in Washington, DC. And um, the Jonathan Larson Collection is a new addition to its major holdings in the area of musical theater. Uh, so uh, many people have received the grant, including one of my former students at Stage Door, Shana Tao. I love it. Um, so that is Jonathan Larson departed way too soon from us, but left uh, a legacy and mm -hmm. with his foundation and his his music, which is staggering. His music is he's a he, like he's a great composer. So mm -hmm. good. Okay. Yeah. Um, the director, which was really hard to find for some reason, Michael Grief, uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, American stage director. He's won three OBs and received uh, four Tony nominations. In fact, um, Jonathan Larson, I should say, also received um, three Tonys and a Pulitzer for Rent uh, posthumously. Yes, he received them after he died. So Michael Grief, um, a very decorated uh, theater director, uh, attended Northwestern University and graduated from the University of California with a uh, graduate directing <laughs> degree. Uh, he was also the artistic director of La Jolla Playhouse in mm. California from 94 to mm -hmm. 99. Then he was the artistic associate at the New York Theater Workshop, where he directed, among other things, Bright Lights, Big City, Rent, um, and then he has also directed six original Broadway musicals and nominated for the Tony Award for Best Direction four times. Rent, he also did If Then, Next to Normal, Love Ray Gardens, <clears throat> Dear Evan Hansen. Why am I not surprised? War Paint. I know. He war Paint's good. I like War like Paint. The, he seems to be into like these angsty musicals. Hey, we're going to that school. Who are we going to call? Michael Grief. Amazing. <laughs> so, Mr. Grief, what else? What else do you want to know about him, Autumn? Um, not much. I mean, his other directing credits uh, include Off Broadway shows mm -hmm. like Tori Hall's Our Lady of uh, Cabejo. Uh, okay. And I apologize if I did not say that correctly. I'm reading this for the first time. Um, John Guar's uh, Landscape of the Body and a Few Stout Individuals, uh, Beauty of the Father for Manhattan Theatre Club, and in 2009, the Playwrights Horizon production of Mrs. Sharp, uh, starring Jane Krakowski. He's also directed oh, very the New York Shakespeare Festival, Romeo and Juliet, Winter's Tale, <laughs> and See? The Tempest. <laughs> Michael Grief. I believe Michael he also Green. directed the, um, and I'm sure we'll get to it, the revival of Rent, the off-Broadway yes, revival. he did. Mm -hmm. And the film was directed by um, Harry Potter 1 and 2, Chris we're, Columbus. We're going to get into that. Don't steal all my good little fun tidbits. <laughs> no, Sorry. I'm doing creative teams, so. I know. <laughs> Listen, 
<laughs> Take it right. away. I'll, I'll start okay. talking right about that. I get excited. I, I know. But it's it's right. actually good that this will be like three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Rent's history. It came. It's there. I don't like it. Done. Kidding. Um, okay. <laughs> See? Um, so, okay. So this musical's main source of inspiration was Puccini's opera, uh, uh, La Boheme. La Boheme is about the lives of the poor young artists. Uh, tuberculosis is the plague of Puccini's opera. It is replaced by HIV and AIDS in Rent. Uh, 1800s Paris is replaced by New York's East Village in the late 80s, early 90s. And the names and identities of the Rent characters also heavily reflect Puccini's original characters, though not all are direct adaptations. There's a number of them that kind of either swap genders or kind of became amalgamations of certain characters. But yes, this was the kind of basis of Rent was this opera. Uh, the musical began its life, though, in 1990, sorry, in 1988, when playwright Billy Aronson wanted to create a musical based on Puccini's La Boheme, in which the uh, splendor of Puccini's world would be replaced with the coarseness and the noise of modern New York. So in 1989, Jonathan Larson, a 29-year-old composer, uh, he was so young, uh, began collaborating with Aronson on this project, and the two composed together some very uh, big songs of the show, including Santa Fe, Splatter, which was reworked into Rent, the song Rent, and uh, Should I Tell You. Uh, Larson suggested setting the play amid poverty, homelessness, spunky gay life, drag queens, and punk in the East Village neighborhood of Manhattan, uh, which happened to be down the street from his Greenwich Village apartment. So Larson actually was the one who came up with the show's title. Uh, and it was actually a decision that Aronson wasn't happy with, at least until Larson pointed out that rent me also means torn apart. So after that, Aronson was like, okay, all right, I guess rent is a good title. It has double meaning. So that was the title. And then in 1991, uh, Larry, uh, uh, um, Larson asked uh, Aronson uh, if he could kind of take over the project and make it his own because he kind of wanted to branch out a bit and um larson um had great kind of expectations and ambitions for the show he really saw great potential as he saw this as the rock opera to bring the musical theater to the mtv generation that was his kind of uh, uh concept that he wanted to do so he took it uh and then throughout the throughout the rest of the early 90s while waiting tables at the moon dance uh diner uh, he, where he supported himself, uh, he wrote this piece. And over the course of the years, Larson wrote hundreds of songs, and his final uh, uh, draft contained 42 uh, songs in total. So a lot of music. Uh, the earliest concepts of the characters differed largely from, from the final product, though. So, for example, everyone except Mark had AIDS, uh, including Maureen and Joanne. Maureen was a serious, angry character who played off uh, Oedipus in her performance piece instead of a diddle diddle uh let's see what else is there uh, mark was at one point actually a painter not a filmmaker roger's name was actually ralph and he wrote musical uh, musical plays uh, angel was a jazz philosopher uh, while collins was a street performer and angel and colin collins uh, were both originally described as as a uh, caucasian and benny had a somewhat uh, enlarged role in the story taking part in songs like real estate, which was later cut. So there we go. <clears throat> in the fall of 1992, Larson approached uh, James um, 
uh, Nicola, the artistic director of the New York Theater Workshop, with a tape and copy of Brent's script. Uh, Nicola liked it, so they decided to stage a first workshop of it in March of 1993. However, despite it being a good start, uh, it was acknowledged that there were a number of structural problems that needed to be addressed, including the cumbersome and lengthy, overly complex plot. Uh, then after that, in 1994, another workshop was staged, and that time it starred Anthony Rapp as Mark and Daphne Rubin Vega as Mimi. So they would then continue on with these roles going forward. But th this was kind of the way they started was in 1994. And then following that workshop, Larson just continued to stage workshops throughout the city, reworking this project. And then on January 24th, 1996, uh, the musical had its final dress rehearsal uh, before its off-Broadway opening. Larson had his first and only newspaper interview with music critic, critic uh, Anthony Tomancini, I think is how you say that name, uh, of the New York Times. Uh, and that attracted by coincidence uh, um, uh, 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 the fact that the show was opening up exactly 100 years to the day of Puccini's opera. So that was a big kind of talking point in the article. Uh, however, sadly, as we said, on January 25th, 1996, in the early morning, Larson died uh, unexpectedly from the aortic um, aneurysm, uh, due to, uh, later believed, due to, due, due, due to Marfan syndrome. So that happened, uh, very sad, and the families and friends of Larson gathered in the New York Theater Workshop, and the first preview became just a sing-through of the musical in Larson's memory. So... However, they saw the, however, they continued with the show. They didn't just uh, shelve it as, 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 a, as a memorial piece. They wanted to keep it going for Larson. So the musical moved ahead with the schedule and opened with the cast, including Anthony Rapp as Mark, Adam Pascal as Roger, Daphne Ruben Vega as Mimi, uh, Jesse L. Martin as Tom, uh, Wilson Jeremiah Herdia, I believe, is how, is how it is is how you say his name as Angel, Adina Menzel, Autumn's favorite as Maureen, <laughs> Freddie Walker as Joanne, and, and Tay Diggs as Benjamin Coffin III. Uh, the production received positive reviews, particularly it was praised for not, for not only its acting and musical components, but also its representation of HIV-positive individuals. Uh, many critics praised the portrayal of the characters such as Angel and Collins, uh, as being happy with positive outlooks on life rather than being resigned to death. So it was a very well-received show in that part. However, it was criticized uh, for its stereotypical negative portrayal of lesbian characters and the glamorization of the East Village in the late 80s. So there were some people who did criticize the show. It wasn't all praises. It wasn't all 10 out of 10s. Um, what, so, were they, but the show... what were they criticizing about the lesbian characters? They said it was negative and stereotypical uh, ways of depicting like the lesbian characters, like the fact that like Maureen cheats on Joanne a lot, like a, 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 a very kind of over the top angsty kind of. Um, They're all uh, over the top angsty. I know. Maureen and Joanne are the least of the problem here. <laughs> but okay, so with the reviews and recent death of the composer, uh, Rent quickly gained popularity. It was so successful that the show actually had to move off Broadway to Broadway to accommodate the audiences. Uh, the problem, theater... right there. Right? Wow. Exactly. Darn it, we're selling at our 150 seat theater. Now we got to move to a bigger one. Hey, what um, happens? Right? 
Um, either way, so the theater <laughs> that was chosen, though, was the under-renovation Nederlander Theater on 41st Street. Uh, the production actually requested that final touches to the theater is remodeling and renovations actually be put on hold and uh, uh, during, during the actual run of rent because they felt the unfinished look of the theater uh, actually fit with the gritty kind of derelict setting of the show. So they're like, yep, just leave, the, leave it looking not nice. So they did. Uh, and then on April 29th, 1996, the show opened again uh, with, uh, uh, with the off-Broadway cast transferring to Broadway, making them all major stars. Uh, the show's continued popularity even spawned a cult following of people dubbed rent heads. <laughs> that's right. It, that's right. They, 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 they had a special group dedicated to this show. And then it originally referred to the people who would camp outside the Nederlander Theater for hours in advance for the discounted $20 rush seat tickets to each show. And so they would uh, go on till two hours before each show. It was the first two rows. Uh, and it was it was a great kind of thing that happened, and then other Broadway shows followed suit with it, and it, it, it was able to kind of create this community of rush seat uh, goers, which was fantastic. A great way to bring new people into the into the fold, as it were. Uh, the production was nominated for ten Tony Awards in 1996, and it won four of them, including Best Musical, Best Book, Best Original Score, uh, uh, both posthumously for Jonathan Larson and Best Performance by a Featured Actor in, in a Musical for um, Hedera as Angel. Uh, so Rent then closed on September the 7th, 2008, after a 12-year run, and a total performance number was 5,123 performances, making it the 11th longest-running Broadway show in history. So there we go. So a very good, solid run. The production grossed over... 280 million dollars by the time it closed so it made its money and then and and and, the, and then a whole bunch more and it gave um okay. oh, cool pardon and it gave seats away for 20 bucks cool yep exactly uh the final performance of the broadway production of rent uh uh, 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 <coughs> uh was what was filmed live and then was cut to and it was cut together with other footage made throughout the month of August of the same year. And that was then released in cinemas as Rent filmed live on Broadway. I'm sure Jessica, you went and saw that right, in, the, in the cinemas. No. <laughs> really? No, I, no I, I actually, I don't think, no, I didn't see it in theaters, but I have a DVD. Ah, very good, okay, <laughs> perfect. Uh, so this musical has actually spawned a number of parodies and uh, special references throughout uh, other media forums, particularly on television, uh, uh, shows that are t television shows that have kind of uh, referenced the show or parodied it include The Simpsons, Family Guy, Friends, Will and Grace, Scrubs, Glee, The Big Bang Theory, Gilmore Girls, Felicity, Saturday Night Live, The Office. Oh my God, something's happening. 9,986,000. We actually sat down and did the math. 9,986,000 minutes. That's how many minutes that you've worked here. In costumes. And impressions. In meetings. In cups of coffee. For birthdays. More meetings and. Email boards you made us read. 9,986,000 minutes. That's like watching Die Hard 80,000 times.
Franklin and Bash, Two Broke Girls, Seinfeld, The Neighbors, Modern Family, Smash, Supernatural, Superstore, and Bob's Burgers, to name just a few TV shows that have all done some type of reference or parody to Rent. And a big uh, kind of ode to Rent was done in the parody film, Team America World Police, created by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who you will know for doing Book of Mormon. And, and this includes, and their reference was their lead character is an actor who stars in a, in a musical probably called Lease. And the song that is sung from that show is called Everybody Has AIDS. There's a hero inside of all of us. I'll make them see everyone has AIDS. My father, AIDS. My sister, AIDS. My uncle and my cousin and her best friends, AIDS. The gays and the straights and the whites and the spades. Everyone has AIDS. My grandma and my dog go blue. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. And it's a great parody moment of the show. It's, it's fantastic. Um, the minute I saw it, I was like, I know exactly what they're referencing. I love it. They're also um, known for um, a little TV hit series called South Park. Yes, exactly. It actually, is a re- actually, I just went back and rewatched Team America and actually it still holds up. It's, it's funny. It's, it's very funny. They're very it's, funny. They are, they absolutely are. Uh, so this musical has also been used to support a number of causes. This became a really kind of great musical to do uh, special benefits with and kind of support organizations and communities. There was a particular uh, event that was held on April 24, 2006, where the original Broadway cast reunited for a one-night performance of the musical at the Nederlander Theater, and that performance raised over $2 million for, for the... For, 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 for the Jonathan Larson Performing Arts Foundation, okay. Friends in Deed, and the New York Theater Workshop. Uh, and then actually at the finale, and former cast members were invited back, as well as many prior tour and Broadway cast members all joined on stage for a reprisal of Seasons of Love. So this was, that was a huge benefit night they did. Yeah. It's a lot. And they raised a lot of money. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then in 2005, Rent was adapted into a film directed by Christopher Columbus, who, as we all know, directed Home Alone and Harry Potter, The Philosopher's Stone, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, and the screenplay was done by Stephen Trubotsky. Uh, the film features a number, if not all, of the original cast from the Broadway production, except for Daphne Rubin Vega, who, who played Mimi and she was pregnant during the filming, so she wasn't unavailable to come back. And Freddie Walker, who played Joanne, uh, did not return because she felt she was too old for the role. Yay, she actually saw, she actually saw, she actually understood that. She just had aged out of the parts, unlike the rest of that cast who looked way too old to be in that movie. <laughs> like they were all in their 30s by the time that, like, like late 20s, early 30s. Well, Tracy Toms did the movie, didn't she? She yeah. did, and, yeah. then, and then she came back and did it on Broadway when it closed. Rocks. And we actually, and she, we actually just talked about her because she was in the revival production of Falsettos. Exactly. And Rosario Dawson played Mimi in the movie. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, very, very good. A good call, Jessica Maxwell. Well done. Thank you. Uh, the musical uh, was released, or sorry, the musical film was released on November twenty third, two thousand five, 
and it remained in the top uh, 10 box office numbers for three weeks. The film, however, did receive mixed reviews as a number of fans of, of the show were, did not like how several plot elements were changed uh, and some of the songs were either were turned into dialogue scenes or were just cut entirely. So, so as a lot of theater fans will say, just watch the live film version of Rent from Broadway versus the movie. Um, they also did a live performance recently. They did. Like uh, they did, and I, actually, 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 that was my last note was that they actually just you know to continue along with the classic, uh, a film live on television, uh, extravaganza that they do with starting with Carrie Underwood and Sound of Music. Rent was just done, starring Vanessa um, uh, Hudgens, Jordan Fisher as Mark. Uh, who else do we have in here? Uh, Valentina as Angel, Brennan Hurt as Roger, Tanisha as Mimi. Uh, and actually, it wasn't. It actually wasn't screened live because during the dress rehearsal, one of the actors, uh, Brennan Hunt, who played Roger, broke his foot, oh. and thus that caused them to pre-record and release the dress rehearsal footage versus the doing it live. The only live part of that whole experience was the finale. The hunt came out in a wheelchair. So there we go. So Jessica, why don't you kick us off in this next session, which is how did you first come to this show? Where did your history start with this piece of theater? Well, um, my my first introduction to Rent started with the movie, actually. Okay. Um, I, I had kind of gotten a little distanced from theater for a little bit at the time when the movie came out. Um, before that, I'd seen The Lion King, and I I saw um, the movie Chicago, um, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen the stage production. But like that was sort of my that was sort of my little bits of theater that were interjected in my life. And then I kind of got away mm-hmm. from it, um, just no particular reason. I was just growing up, and mm-hmm. as you grow up, you gain interest, you lose interest, things come in mm-hmm. and out of your life. Um, and then I from what I remember, I saw the trailer of the movie. And at the time, I was really starting to to listen to different music. And I think mm-hmm. the like rock music was kind of what pulled me in because I'm, mm-hmm. that's my kind of genre of music. And I think mm-hmm. that was sort of what initiated that. And I asked my mom to take me I was like, I have no idea what this is about. I had no idea it was a musical at the time. Um, and I asked my mom to take me and we went and then right after I like, went and did all my research because I loved the movie at the time. After I saw the stage production, my opinions changed, but <laughs> um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person where after I, after I watch something, like whether it's a movie or a TV show, I like to do my research and I like to kind of figure out like where mm-hmm. this, like what are its origins? And I guess that's the mm-hmm. journalist in me that kind of wants to do some research. So I mm-hmm. figured out that it was a musical and it had been a musical um, for 10 years at that point. So I was like, okay, some catching up to do. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. um, then after that, it was just um, listening to the cast recording and watching the Tony performance. And that just sort of reopened my door for theater. And, and I just went down this big Brent rabbit hole. And that was, that was kind of it from there. And mm-hmm, then I saw the mm-hmm. stage production in 2010 when it was, um, it was the touring production with uh, Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal reprising their roles of Mark and Roger. And that was, that was like one of those moments where you just, you wait so long to see a show that you love and you see it and it's everything mm-hmm. that you want it to be. 
Um, I ugly cried the whole time. No exaggeration. I was a sobbing mess. <laughs> yeah, I love ugly crying. Oh yeah. It was, it was like, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was just one of those, it, one of those moments where it just built up and it finally happened. I was finally seeing the show that I loved so much and it was, it was beautiful and wonderful and everything I could ask for. And, um, you know, I feel bad for the guy who sat beside me and had to watch this 16 year old ugly cry during the whole show. <laughs> but, uh, mm. but yeah, it was, um, and I think, I think it goes back to my previous point of like why it holds so much heart for me. And, um, like it's, it's the music, it's the, it's the characters. It's, there's, there's a lot of love in that show. And so I just, mm -hmm. I really felt it when I saw the stage adaptation. Mm -hmm. Very good. I mean, I remember you in high school being so excited to go see this uh, particular touring production. Autumn, why don't you tell us then, how did you first come to this show? What are your experiences with this piece of work? I don't really remember. I mean, I was like a whopping 23 when it first came out. <laughs> so a lot older than the two of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it came, I was a musical theater. What, what, what did you call us? Theater nerds. Theater nerd. Right. Theater nerd. Theater geek. <laughs> I'm one of those people. So of course I knew it as soon as it came out and I listened to mm -hmm. it and I was that, ang I was angsty. It was speaking to me. It spoke to me for a very long time, really, until I really started to think about it. Um, the convert autumn to my, to my way of well, thinking. Well, no, I'm not completely. I just have, <laughs> I can see all sides of this conversation, but it did. It was, the, it's an excavation, like singing mm. through this musical. And it's one that I put on in my car and I belt out with it, certain songs and certain songs I'll put on repeat. And they're the most random songs, which I'll talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, when we get to our favorite songs because they're just random, really random snippets mm -hmm. that I adore about this piece. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've seen it a couple of times. I saw it in Toronto when it first came on tour. I saw it at Stage Door, perfect place for it. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm sure in my time, I will see several high school productions of this, which is where it should be being done. Like, get it out, get it out, excavate. Yeah. So that's how I, you know, I, I first came to it. I had also, you know, been uh, in the period of my life where I was coming out. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, another musical about gay people. Cool. Oh my God, there's more lesbians in it. <laughs> so That's true. You know, 23, coming out, gross. I... Mm -hmm that period of your life is gross from like 14 to 25 gross <laughs> no one should have we should just be able to skip find the maturity and not have to go through that time Ugh. but you know this it spoke this musical also spoke to me like it was mm -hmm. it was my grunge it's musical theater grunge in a way Ugh. you know yeah stick it to the yeah. man I'm an artist. I'm gonna. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So fair. That's where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I came to the show 
when I when I rented the 2005 film for one of my Friday night movies, this is what my parents did not watch with me. Uh, I watched I'm it. Surprised. And, they did well, not I mean, watch this with you. <laughs> I mean, my parents, my, my dad particularly will tolerate many a thing, but this definitely is not a show for him. He easily would have done the get a job and left the room. <laughs> <laughs> but yes but yes so i rented it because i because i'd heard it was a musical movie i was like oh, okay like i like i'd watched chicago like i'd done all those so i was like okay well we gotta like you know like just keep like i keep musical alive so we're gonna we're gonna go rent another movie musical i watched it it didn't stick with me i wasn't a fan however i didn't give up on it i, I, I was someone who was like well maybe it was the movie maybe, like maybe it was just something about the movie I didn't like so i did go to the broadway album still don't like it I, th- I then watched the 2008 stage recording on like, on like when they aired it on PBS. And I was like, okay, maybe it's a stage show that I actually have to see to understand because the music didn't do it for me when I heard it in the album form. So I was like, nope, still didn't like it. <laughs> um, and then, and, and, and then uh, after that, I've performed Seasons of Love a number of times with concert choirs, show galas. Like it's been one of those show songs that I've done and every time I cringe and, and bemoan, because all you have to do as, as the male, male is seasons of love. Uh, and you do that repeatedly, repeatedly. And it's like, ugh. When we did it in, in high school, um, mm-hmm. Mackenzie, at least you weren't an alto. I wasn't. No, that's but true. I just remember all of our alto friends complaining that all they did was like the oovit. <laughs> <laughs> In true so. alto form. Yeah. <laughs> Altos Sorry always to... get screwed over. It's true. It's There's thing. a whole song about that. Yeah, yeah. I would just like to say that I think the premise of the song is stolen. Ooh, from what? Um, I think he borrowed the idea from the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Hmm. Because J. Alfred Prufrock says, I have measured out my life in coffee spoons. Interesting, yeah. Jonathan Larson. But yeah, this is certainly not a show that I that I'm a fan of. I don't come back to it often, if ever. I came back to it for this episode. I'm not angsty. I never have been. I don't think I I've never understood these characters. I don't like these characters. <laughs> um, okay, so let's head into our top three songs. Ms. Maxwell, what is your number one song? I'm gonna be so stereotypical and say Seasons of Love. Did not make my list. I'm sorry. It's, it just, the piano intro, like just that first little bit, just, oh. 
hearing the lyrics, it opens the second act. And I love how it's shown in the show because it leads the way, like, like the lyrics are, are, are all about like, how do you measure, how do you measure your life? And here's all these different ways. And um, it's so centered around characters who are talking about what they want to accomplish before they die, especially those, mm. um, like the, it se that seems to be like the biggest theme with, with Roger, especially because mm -hmm. he's like, I want to write one last great song before I die. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, okay, well, here's, here's all these ways that we, that we measure our life. The big thing should be love because mm -hmm. we're only here for so long. We should try to take any energy that we have and, and bring it in, in such a loving, positive way. And it's, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's such a beautiful song and mm -hmm. I love, I love what the message is. So. Yeah. Fair enough. It did not make my list. Uh, <laughs> Autumn. Did it, it make yours? No, it didn't. It didn't make my list. It it almost made my other list. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. And because for me, this is now this is where I'm going to get a little scathing. Mm -hmm. This show is not about love. What's it about then, Autumn? It's about self. It's about love of self. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, it care to elaborate? Oh. No, it's about self-interest. Like, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? In an angsty way, True. we don't think about other people. We think about ourselves and what we're going through. And the fact that Roger wants to leave one song, don't leave like a multitude of good deeds, but by all means, leave your one song. Who cares, buddy? <laughs> Whatever. So Seasons of Love is like, hey, this is how we're going we're gonna to measure in Seasons of Love. Okay, next. And of course it's sung at every graduation. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And I understand people's uh, like draw to it, but mm -hmm. I think the idea is stolen. Mm -hmm. I do, because it is a very uh, popular saying that he says in Proof Rock, I've measured out my life in coffee spoons. Mm -hmm. So, Larson's picked that up and gone, okay, well, how can I, how do you, how do we measure life in midnights and cups of coffee? <laughs> Interesting. In seasons, in, in, in miles and laughter and strife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's a better way to do this song. We will get into that momentarily. Right. Uh, Autumn, what is your number one song? Um, Christmas Bells. Christmas bells are ringing, Christmas bells are ringing, Christmas bells are singing, how time flies when compassion dies. make my list i know and it's all there's one section in there that is so staggeringly complex and yet very simple it's a riff on silent night 
Mm-hmm. I do silent night, oh holy night. And it's got, it's mm-hmm. got this chord progression that I just hit on repeat. And it's like 10 seconds of the song. And I keep going back and I keep going back because it's so epic. This one chunk of the song. It's like that one bit in Secret Garden where they, they mm-hmm. sing. Uh, it's the, the Moors. Come aloft, come aloft on high. Clear away the storm yes. rumbling across the sky. Like there are two yes. pieces of music that are very short, but complex and simple at the same time and gorgeous. So that mm-hmm. is my number one pick. And it's an ensemble number. Yeah. And I love l- it. I like the ensemble numbers in the show. They're, they, they are fun. They are, yeah. they are really good. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. My uh, number one though is the Tango Maureen. She cheated. She cheated. Maureen cheated. Fucking cheated. I'm defeated. I should give up right now. Gotta look on the bright side with all of your might. I'd fall for her still anyhow. When you're dancing her dance, you don't stand a chance. Her grip of romance makes you fall. So you think might as well. There's a tango to hell. At least I'll have tango at all. Uh... I know Autumn is rolling her eyes at me, but I, but I, but I love, I, I, going back and rewatching it, I particularly enjoyed it because I find it's a great setup song. It, it, it basically does the work for Maureen before she even shows up because she doesn't show up to almost three quarters of the way through act one, but yet we've had this build up to her and this is a great kind of way to build this character up. It's the same way when Bill Sykes shows up at the top of act two where when he shows up, all his work, because he's been set up in act one, that you know he's coming, and, you, and he shows up, and it's like, oh, I know you are. It's the same thing with Lady Bracknell in the play Imports of Being Earnest, where you hear about her a lot before she actually shows up. She and doesn't deserve to concept. be set up. She is a narcissistic cheater of a character. She is the villain of this piece. She is nasty. Everyone should dump her ass. Cut her out. Get rid of her. <laughs> Bye. None of them deserve that. She is, she is all about herself. She is, she is a wanky, wanky character. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Well, I do have another one of her songs on my other list. So we will get into more Maureen uh, momentarily. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm pissed at it. So thank you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and this song, this Tango Maureen, to go tango with yourself. Or better yet, tango with yourself. Find someone that's better for you. Mm-hmm. You can both do better in the world. Being alone is better. Than being with Maureen. Yes. She <laughs> is a selfish human being. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed, comes agreed. Out, comes out a lot in this show. And yes. both of them have their moments where they like kind of pine over and it's like, how like is she that great like <laughs> she's not like she's not but she's again not. she's a like, pretty she yeah. has like pretty problematic moments yes. mm-hmm. it is but it's it's the cycle of oh i'm falling in love with the popular person why is she that, popular <laughs> because she is because she's loud mm, there we go 
He's pretty and loud. So you put those together. She's, she becomes this alpha figure that people mm -hmm. are drawn to not good for anyone. No, not, you know, just trust me. Trust <laughs> me. Autumn knows. Seven, I've lived a life. These people are not good for other people because they're grossly immature. Mm -hmm. Maureen is grossly immature and Joanne is mature and she's got a job and she knows what she's doing. And she gets sucked into this like vortex of trying to figure out forgotten childhood or something. <laughs> Here's therapy. It will be yeah. better for you. Fair, fair enough. Jessica, what is your number two, though? Um, well, actually, I, I, I didn't put these in any particular order because I'm really bad at choosing that. But the next song I had on my list was, um, it's, it's also a reprise, but I can't really choose between the two of them. Um, I'll cover you. I'll be there and I'll cover you. I think they meant it when they said you can't buy love. Now I know you can rent it, and at least you are my love. One life, be my life. I had that too. Oh, yay. I think it's just such a beautiful song, both the, the original one and the reprise. Um, the reprise especially is, is so sad um, because mm -hmm. it's, at, it's, at, it's like this song that both Tom and, and Angel sang, and now it's just Tom singing it because at that mm -hmm. point in the show, Angel's died. Um, yes. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I just, I think it's, I love, I love the first one because it's the sort of starting the beginning stages of a relationship. And it's like, you know, some of the lyrics are like, uh, like, um, I'll be your blanket. I'll, I'll be your coat. Like I'm here to be with you and I'll, I'll cover you basically. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what, whatever storm we weather, I'll be here for you. And I think it, mm -hmm. I think it speaks a lot of volumes as how, um, like the fact that Angel's a drag queen and Tom is uh, gay, like that makes it like on, like on a whole different level, it's, you know, even, even if we face any sort of um, hateful comments from other people, I'll still be here for you. I'll still cover you no matter what. Mm -hmm. so. I'm so glad you said that about the, their gayness and their, you know, their idea of doing drag. Drag as an art form is about covering. So it's about, it is an act of protection in a way, a performative act of protection. Mm -hmm. um, a rebellion, which is also a protective layer. Um, but I, I totally agree with you. I think it's beautiful. And it is a love ballad again, between two men in love. We do not get many of those. So we must cherish them when we find them. Yes. And um, I, I actually really like out of all of the characters in this play, I'm going to say that Collins and Angel are my favorite. Agreed. They, they get it. They have a sense mm -hmm. of irony, mm -hmm. you know? He, he is a professor, maybe, kind of. Who knows if he's actually successful mm -hmm. at it? Mm -hmm. But he, he's intelligent. 
and you know they just they're living life and they're they support each other so it's a song about support and, and it's my it's on my top three as well it is in my top three too because basically it's, it's it's the same notes where i think it's it's a beautiful piece of uh, it's a beautiful bookmark song where, where once again it's it's that playing off of each other where, where at the beginning you do see the hope and the potential and that's why when angel dies it's such a sad one because it encapsulates that feeling that everybody had during aids where these beautiful wonderful men who had so much to give to society were being taken away and it, and it was awful and, and that's exactly what this song kind of comes to it's this moment of oh, we just lost this beautiful light in our community that, that, that shone so bright and it's so tragic. And once again, like I, I agree, Tom and Angel have the best relationship of the entire show. They are, they are a wonderful match together and it's great. However, this is where Seasons of Love comes back in for me because I think I would love to see I'll Cover You reprise done as a death duet. Open your door, I'll be your tenant. Don't got much baggage to lay at your feet but sweet kisses i've got to spare i'll be there and i'll cover you oh i think they meant it when they said you can't buy love now i know you can rent it a new lease versus Angel suddenly dying out of nowhere. Because it still drives me every time I watch it where Angel just dies randomly in act two. And we don't see it, there's no death scene for Angel. It's like they're having a sex orgy on stage. And it's like, oh, Angel died. There's no, there's no particular like build up to it, but- um, No, it just happens and, it, and it's so random. And I'm like, Angel no, deserves there, a better send off. There is a, there's a slight build up. Um, I think it's during Without You when, like at least in the stage production. And I think mm. in the movie too, it shows Angel in, in the hospital. So like, you know, it's Is it? Yeah. You do, but I, I, I would much rather have this song be a final duet of uh, Tom and Angel. And then, and then Seasons of Love as the funeral song midway through act two a, a, as a reflection song of them reflecting about Angel and how he, they lived their life and, and, and how they're gonna learn from that versus having it as an opening to act two, where it's kind of just, let's all stand downstage and sing. Let's actually yeah. put that song into a bit more of a plot point. I think and I would rather have, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think of Seasons of Love B though, where there's a line in there that goes, um, how do you figure a last year on earth? Yeah. So mm. I think that's another, and, and that song, sure. I'm, I'm just looking at the, at the cast recording here. Um, mm -hmm. That song is right before Without You. So okay. I think it's another setup, but, but I, I understand what you mean. It, it might've been interesting, but I think mm -hmm. like, I love that, um, that I'll cover you reprise is just, is just, um, Collins. Like it's, yes. it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, I it's, mean, just, it's yeah. his final goodbye. It's, it's like yeah. everyone, everyone had their moment to, well, almost everyone has the moment before the song starts where they talk. Mm -hmm. It's like them talking at the funeral. Um, yes. and this is his like, this is his final goodbye. Mm -hmm. It's it's that beautiful yeah. solo moment, and it's it's a little bit bigger than that because it's mm -hmm. kind of Collins's soliloquy moment because yes. he's realizing that he has no one to cover, mm -hmm. and that 
the the sense of loss and then seeing the demise and what the disease can do to a body mm-hmm. i think is also it's it's coming to the realization that nothing in this moment can stop the disease yep. you can cover it with azt you can but that's it's just a band-aid right um, and right before I'll cover you, right before Angel dies, he, he has this kind of like, that orgy scene is hallucinogenic akin to the angel and angels in America. Yes. Actually, that, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, that is true. Right? Like yeah. your body is breaking down, your mind is going with it, right? Mm-hmm. But you're fighting it. So these, these visions come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of the end struggle. So I think mm-hmm. there is a buildup to angel dying. I think mm-hmm. um, it, it is it is slightly abrupt, but I think mm-hmm. it needs to be. Um, I, I, yeah, I cover you yeah. is, has way more, for, I think if you start playing and reading into it, it has way more connotations. Yeah, it's a, it's a very smart song. I mean, you know, uh, the idea of covering, of hiding, of sheltering mm-hmm. your homosexuality was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, coming out in the 90s was not easy. Mm-hmm. It was not accepted the way it is today. And we still have fathoms of work to do. We do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Very good. So I'll cover you is basically all on our list. So Autumn, what is your number three? Um, my number three is life support. Look, I find some of what you teach suspect because I'm used to relying on intellect. But I try to open up to what I don't know because reason says I should die. Did not make my list. I I just love it. I love the questions that are asked in here. And he's like, I'm a New Yorker. Here's my life. It's some of the most honest writing in the show. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, I, I find uh, some of what you say suspect because I'm, I'm used to relying on intellect. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it's a mm-hmm. people in, in struggle and, and uh, it's about community. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like this song. Because it takes it away from being about one person and their narcissistic journey like Roger and going, oh, there's a group of us. And I, that's what I really mm-hmm. like about this song. I like that Mark comes in and he feels awkward. He feels like the other. There's, there's, uh, and he acknowledges that. And I think that's mm-hmm. really great. He's mm-hmm. the one person there that isn't going to die. Yes. Well, Maureen and Joanne, I don't know their trajectory. They live on too. They live on too. <clears throat> uh, yeah. 
-hmm. but that is wonderful i like that it's about community and i like that's the same reason why like my other two songs too they're they're larger um christmas less angsty yeah it's about it's about real connection and real Mm -hmm. real things yeah not about struggling artists (laughs) very true jay maxwell what is your number three I picked out tonight. So let's find a bow. So dark we forget who we are. And all the scars of the Nevers and maybe. Let's go. Oh, tonight. Uh-huh. I have to go. I'm uh, 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 oh. because Ooh. I find it such a fun song. I, it's Mimi's big song and live it's it's like this kind of I, I don't want to say it's it might be liberating. I don't know, but it's it's definitely like a um she's she's trying to it's the song where she's like kind of trying to get Roger a little bit, but um, it's just like, take me out tonight. Like, let's have fun. Like I, I'm purely picking it for just like the fun dancey aspect of it. Um, so yeah. Cool. <laughs> There's no judgment on that. Okay. <laughs> nope, I, I choose, I choose a lot of fun songs on this podcast. Much yeah. to Autumn's chagrin. <laughs> What's good. your well, my song? It actually may surprise you, but I chose One Song Glory. One song, a song about love, glory from the soul of a young man, a young man. Find the one song before the virus takes hold, glory like a sunset. One song to redeem this. Of all the songs, I know you both are cringing at me, but I liked it because it's a different type of I want song. Most I want songs are usually like uplifting or it's somebody looking up at the world and wanting to go and achieve something like it's a picker upper kind of kick off to the show. But one song glory does it's different. It's darker. It's not optimistic. It's not really uplifting. It's about death and the struggle of legacy and to be remembered which is something Autumn and I, you have talked about a number of times about people and their legacies and wanting to be remembered for something. And for Roger, it's his music. He wants to leave the world behind with this piece of him. And, and music is this piece of him he wants to leave behind. And it's that struggle of my time is limited on this world. I don't have to live to 80 or 90 to, make, to create this legacy of mine. I have this blip of time to do it. And it's a struggle of what do you leave behind? Like like such a great struggle about legacy and just that conflict we have in ourselves about what are we doing? Like, how am I going to remember? Like, what am I going to do? And it's, I I enjoyed it for that. Also, I find it very Shakespearean. Like I I feel like this song could fit very well in like a musical version of Hamlet where Hamlet could easily sing a song like this. (laughs) So. I hate Hamlet. I know you do. I know you don't like Hamlet. 
Because he's an angsty teenager. Because <laughs> he's an angsty teenager like Romeo and Juliet. He is an angsty grown man who can't fucking figure out what he wants to do with his life. <laughs> Get over it. So now, now we're into our top three songs we either skip or remove. Autumn, we know two of yours that tied no, for third. No, that was a combo. I have That's two. That's why I said it tied for third. It's, it, you have two more. Perfect. Jessica, do you have songs or, 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 is, or is this a list where you kind of just you couldn't put any on there? No, no. I, I, I wanted to be fair. There are some songs that, Ooh, that I can do okay. without. I feel, I, feel off. It, I feel it with all the shows that I see, even the ones that I absolutely love. There are still songs that either, um, that I, I don't want to say hate because that's a pretty strong word, but um, yeah. that I would either skip or could do without. Um, yes. So I'll start. What is your number one? Um, <laughs> while we're still on the topic of our favorite character, I went with your eyes. Your eyes As we said our goodbyes Can't get them out of my mind And I find I can't hide From your eyes The ones that took me by surprise the night you came into my life where there's moonlight i see your eyes i skip it oh uh, yeah, it's wrong. it's like i i get it it's the moment when like they find mimi and it's right towards the end and you think oh man she's gonna die and then roger sings his song and it's his ballad and I fast forward. That's what saves you. The white savior <laughs> moment, as it were. I'm like, Fuse, I'm waiting till we get to the final B when all the cast comes together and sings No Day But Today. But so I skip that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did not make my list, but I agree with you. I don't like it. I don't like much of any other the music of this show besides the three I mentioned. And maybe Seasons of Love, even though I don't like singing it, I do give it some credit in the world. It has been used for many other purposes. It has exceeded the show, and I will give it credit for that. Mm-hmm. But there we go. Autumn, I what is your number one? That I will take You'll Never Walk Alone over Seasons of Love any day. My first song is Over the Moon. That's on my list, too! Only thing to do is jump over the moon They've closed everything real down Like barns and troughs and performance spaces And replaced it all with lies and rules and Virtual life, life, life But there is a way out to do is jump over the moon I gotta get out of here I hate this song it triggers me it actually triggers me yeah. but I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you talk first before I get into I my rant because I have a rant weird mindset about this uh, yes so you know what because you have a planned rant i do i'm leaving it to you and i will interject at some point great already (laughs) so i hate i hate i hate i hate i hate this song 
like it triggers me because being from the world of devised theater where for three years I dealt with people who were like Maureen, first of all, not naming names, uh, and who did pieces like this. I had to sit through this and it's awful. It's bad, bad art. It's awful art that you shouldn't expect the government to give grants and fund. You shouldn't expect audiences to pay for. It's not good. It's stupid. It's, it's, it, 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 like, why? I don't understand this. Like, like why audiences and over the moons? Like, it, it just, it's, it's dumb. And the fact that Mimi thinks she's so smart and so good and so equal, it's stupid. I hate it. I hate, like, performance art, go away. This isn't it. And you know what? My dad came and saw some of these pieces at York because we did like cabaret kind of shows where you'd have like three different smaller shows in there. And he would sit through them. And he, and, and now every time I say, dad, like I'm in a show, he goes, is somebody getting naked? Should I expect to see nudity in this? Should I expect to be yelled at about, about, uh, about, about being a successful business person? Like, and I'm like, no, dad, this isn't a show that like, 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 um, like, oh, it'll be war. It's actually about World War One. Oh, okay, I actually will come see that. But like, my dad is now very hesitant. And unfortunately, a lot of art, art people who get roped into seeing these types of performance art pieces, then get jaded from art in general because it's just bad. I've never seen a good piece of performance art. Like, even Seinfeld made a joke about it, where like George goes and sees one and gets chocolate sauce dumped all over his shirt. Like, it's a thing where people make fun of performance art, and it's a bad part of our art world that needs to go. Because if it's not good, I don't like it. I hate the song, and it represents all of that. So there we go. That is my rant. I'm okay. going to really feel. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to throw words in to describe, uh, to, to create a summation for what Mackenzie yes. has said. Mm-hmm. Masturbatory. Yes. That's what this is. It's masturbatory art. It's, your, it's you stroking yourself. It's not about you. What are you, like, why? It becomes therapeutic. And art and therapy are not the same thing. And they shouldn't be the same thing. Exactly, Maud. I agree. Thank you. (laughs) Talk agrees with me, everybody. And yes, this is something we all have to, we have to do a rite of passage through this kind of art actually go oh yeah this is yeah not a good life choice this is not actually telling a story and this is not being political Mm -hmm. the way that is going Mm -hmm. to be heard yes now am i judging it i'm trying not to judge it autumn let it out don't don't get me started (laughs) do not do not go down this garden path with me. <laughs> um, I'm just into different kinds of art. I don't think that eating dirt is art. I don't think that uh, some of the things in the MoMA that is a, a room painted white is art. I think that's someone being a clever douchebag. Yeah, yes. I said it. So now I am being judging. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a perfect exit. I mean, uh, to encapsulate your point, Autumn, even in the show, in Act 2, when they're staging their second protest, Joanne comes up with a great articulate explanation of what's going on, and Maureen wants to dress up in a gopher costume. 
<laughs> like talk about which one is your better option. But Maureen would probably win, but Maureen wins because she's Maureen. Maureen is very about her and her art is about her and how it, it again, it's that show don't invite kind mm -hmm. of thing. I'm going to show you. It's like lecture theater, therapy theater. Mm -hmm. No, that's not interesting. To me, it's not interesting. To some, maybe it's very cathartic if they're going through it. But again, therapy is not art. It is not art. And it, you know, if you're gonna create a piece of protest, have something to say that mm -hmm. is not about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect, that was her. You and I both shared a hate for that song. Well, Jessica, what is your number two though? Yeah. Like we, we could just keep going down this rabbit hole, but I, but I, I, I want I want to know what your number two is, yes. Ms. Matt. As well. No, I I love this I love this discussion. And before I get into it, I just wanted to say that I what I love so much about this podcast is that you guys dissect everything about it because it's so easy to just read a synopsis about a musical and think you know it. You guys dig deep and really bring everything to the table, which I love. Thank you. Um, in our judgy way, yes. that's okay. I think we're allowed to be. Um, mm -hmm. It was already mentioned, but Tango Maureen, I don't like. Ah. Um, just from what we were talking about before, it's two people trying to fight over a woman that has no, no real substance, no mm -hmm. concept of what a healthy relationship should be. Mm -hmm. Does nothing for me. Um, mm -hmm. Nope. <laughs> yep. And Autumn totally is agreeing with you. Yep. <laughs> Just cut Maureen out. Give Joanne a different partner. Yeah, Maureen's just so problematic. I mean, she does make lesbians look bad. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. I was going to say, you know, they call her a lesbian in the show, but she's her sexuality is more fluid than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's more fluid than that, and I, you know... I don't know. There's something deep. I, I don't like this portrayal of a lesbian. If we're going to, I don't like this portrayal of a bisexual person, to mm -hmm. be quite honest. In a musical, I don't think that furthers uh, um, the conversation. I don't think she furthers the conversation. I think she is so repulsive in this show. Mm -hmm. Hence <laughs> why the show got criticized for, for it. Well, I was, I was just going to say yeah. that's probably some of probably and definitely some of the the reasons why it was it was criticized in that respect mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and you also have yeah. you know a very um you know influential black woman yes who's a lawyer caught into this white woman's deceit and mm -hmm. it gives her no agency in that moment mm -hmm. and i don't like that yeah so cut more musical sorry yeah. Adina. Maybe I'm not sorry. Cut more rain. And uh, move on from there. Yep. Uh, so my number one song, though, on my list for songs I don't like and skip is Rent. How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? Last year's rent. The music ignites the night with passionate fire. The narration crackles and pops with incendiary wit. 
the title song of this show. I find it angsty and I get so mad listening to it because it's like, how are we going to pay rent? It's like, well, it's called go out and get a job. Like every other person in the world, heck, Jonathan Larson, while writing this show, worked Joe Jobs. Autumn, you've worked some incredible Joe Jobs to get to to get to get through, including working on a sex line. Oh, thanks for bringing but, that up. Yeah, yeah, I did. That. I think it's one of your coolest stories. I've that, done that you were everything. I picked apples. Exactly. I worked on a phone sex line. I mm-hmm. sold uh, ads to CN- for CNN International to people who would never see them. like you've done it all and that's the point like you can be an artist but be also a functioning member of society we all have to pay rent and our mortgages we all have to do something to contribute to the world and this song is a total opposite of that it's like we're not going to do it you know angsty like stick it to the man it's like i'm sorry benny is your landlord like he like did something with his life and is actually trying to improve the neighborhood and you're now just gonna uh, what is it like? What do they do? Like they have a fire hazard in their in their building. They, they, burn, they, 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 they burn things, and they in the movie they're throwing burning things. Yes, exactly. There's like that. They also live off of like one extension cord, so that's like a power problem right there. Like that's going to short out the system and cause another fire. Like it's a whole thing. Like I just I just get angry listening to that song. I, I have to skip it. I can't do it. I I agree. I think the thing about them asking though how they're going to pay rent is because leading up to that song, Benny tells them the rent's due. And they're like, what Mm -hmm. rent? And he's like, the rent that you, that that I let slide. And they're like, what's slide? You said we were golden when you bought the building when we were roommates, like, so. Well, then they're idiots. Maybe there's just a communication error. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) you know, my mom has a great saying up in her home office which is there's no such thing as a free lunch. And it has three fish, a baby fish, a medium fish, and a big fish all being swallowed by something. And, it, and she points to that sign all the time in the world where she goes, so you want the government to pay for things and you, want, and, and, and you expect this the world to be handed to you. Points to the sign and goes, read it. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And the, the, the minute Benny said, don't worry about it, they should have all gone, no, we should, because what happens if Benny gets hit by a car or what happens when, when, life, when, when life changes? They were stupid idiots for thinking they should never have to pay rent. Yeah, but for them, it's like, no, because paying rent is conforming and we don't do that because we're artists and we're edgy living in New York in the <sighs> 90s. Like, <laughs> Guess what? A lot of artists, they do work jobs. That's why... Being an artist is also called being a waiter because a lot of us do catering and bartending and things like that. We all have to do it. It's life. Interesting. They they mix up conforming with surviving. Mm. And a lot of artists do Joe jobs to survive. Mm-hmm. I'm still doing Joe jobs to survive. They're just in my field. But some mm. of them are Joe jobs. Like, if I had my way, I'd be an artistic director of a theater company right now, but that's just not the thing. Or a tenured professor. Mm -hmm. But those positions are few and far between. So I go contract to contract to contract. There's no stability. Mm -hmm. It's still no stability, whether I work at a, a contract to contract basis, being a professor or 
working on a chat line as an, and an usher at the theater, there's still no stability. There's still uncertainty, but I do it to survive. Yes. It's about survival. It's about now providing for a family, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but at that time it was about providing for myself. How am I gonna eat if I don't make money? How do they eat? Do they eat? But I got an idea. Let's they start. squat in a restaurant. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, we will get to it. But Autumn, what is so? So your so your number three was the tie. Um, oh, uh, I have uh, one between, more. I'm, oh, I'm, what's your other one? What is your other one? Light my candle. I got a cold. Uh -huh, I used to be a junkie. But now and then I like to uh -huh. feel good. Oh, hear it. What's that? It's a candy bar wrapper. That was my last match. Our eyes will adjust. Thank God for the moon. Maybe it's not the moon at all. I hear Spike Lee shooting down the street. Bahamba. Ooh, did not make my list, but mm, definitely don't like it. I like you're begging for the man's attention. Boring. No, mm. it's uh, no, it's so problematic. And I know it's based on the original Mimi Rodolfo from Bowen and the mm -hmm. candle scene. But you know what? No. The answer is no. And she keeps blowing it out and then she drops her stash. So we're like, ooh, she's the bad girl. And he's just trying mm -hmm. to write a song. And poor guy, his his other girlfriend killed herself. He's got, you know. Seriously, women do not look good in this musical. No, they do not. Wow, the more I'm talking about it, the more it's irritating me. Women do yes. not look good. They do not look good. But what is your number three, Ms. Maxwell? My third pick was I Should Tell You. I should tell you I'm disaster. I forget how to begin it. Let's just make this part go I should tell you. I should tell you. I should tell you. I should tell you. I really care for that song. It's another Roger and Mimi song. I think it's awkwardly placed in the show. It's like wedged right between two parts of Levy Bohem. And yes. it's just like, I should tell you, I love you. I should tell you, I have HIV. I should tell you all these things. And it's like, where does this relationship go? Oh my gosh. Like next board. <laughs> Cut it. I don't have a thing for the ballads in this show, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. With, with some exceptions. Yeah. Um, I would just like to say that Roger and Mimi um, strikingly remind me of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, there we go. Yes. Another Shakespearean connection. I see that too. Notice yeah. the two shows that this reminds me of are my least favorite Shakespeare's. <laughs> the most angsty Shakespeare's. Who cares? Yeah. Not interested. Get a life. Get a life, people. Yeah. Get a life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually, mine, my, my third song piggybacks off 
uh, Jessica's, and that is La, La Vivo M. Passion to fashion to passion when it's new to Sontag to Sondheim to anything taboo. Ginsburg, Dylan, Cunningham, and Cage. Lenny Bruce, Langston Hughes. To the stage, to Uda. To Buddha. Pablo Neruda. don't like this song first of all because the opening of the song is as just pointed out it's mark showing up with a bunch of people to squat in a restaurant after being told no you don't pay for things go away and yet he just storms his way in and takes over a restaurant and ruins benny's meeting but they still like, get the food like yeah i don't i i yeah waiter would still give them food that waiter should be fired. Like, did, the they, cops. did they have an in or yeah. something? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, don't know. But that, the top of the scene just ticks me off right away. And then they start singing. And I'm like, why are Joanne... So there's, so there's three main performers of this song. You have, like, Mark, Joanne, and Maureen, who are kind of, like, the big soloists. And, like, two out of the three of them have been shown to have a pretty decent background and family. But they're not, like, people... Who, who are who, who come from a broken home or a or, or a background that would kind of lend themselves to being to, be, to living the struggling lifestyle like their parents are calling they're trying to communicate and yet you have them singing this rebellious song about la vie bohème man like that's, and it's like I, oh that's that's a really good point Mackenzie because I read yeah. I read something recently about mm -hmm. how um Mark's mom reaches out throughout the entire show and mm -hmm. he could just pick up the phone say hey yes. i'm actually kind of struggling here but yeah and like i can't pay my rent mm -hmm. like i'm i have a feeling his mom might help him out given yeah. how many times he or sorry how many times she reached out um mm -hmm. but he won't admit to that because it nope. goes against his groovy edgy lifestyle so yes the song is it's like it doesn't fit these characters like what are they rebelling against like, why is the song being sung? It makes no freaking sense to me. It, and I just... I was just... Sorry, I was just going to say, the only other alternative I could see is, like, if you had a bad relationship with your parent, but not in Mark's case. Like, his Mark mom is or calling, Joanne. Or, or Joanne, yeah. Like, their parents yeah. are calling all the time, and they're checking in, mm. and they're like, where are you? Like, I want to hear from yeah. you. Um, yeah. Like, there's... So there's no bad relationship there, so it's like, mm -hmm. what's the reason? Well... Clearly, it sounds like it's just mm -hmm. yeah. They it's this song is about shock. Mm -hmm. This is the shock jock song. Mm -hmm. How how edgy and Jonathan Larson, God rest your soul, probably went. How edgy can I be? I mean, listen to these lyrics. Ready? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm gonna read them out. Go. A recitation. Um. To handcrafted beers made in local breweries, everything wanky in the world. Okay, ready? To yoga, to yogurt, to rice and beans and cheese. Had to throw that in, right? Uh, to leather, to dildos, to curry vindaloo. How those things go together, I'm not sure. To huevos rancheros and Maya Angelou. Emotion, devotion, it is a DT piece, I've decided. Uh, it's such a devotion. Creation, vacation, 
mucho masturbation. Well, you've just given me a bunch of mucho masturbation in your lyrics. <laughs> uh, compassion to fashion to passion when it's new, not when it's old. Because God forbid we settle down in, in beautiful relationships. Yeah. And value those. Mm -hmm. That would be against everything these people believe. To Sontag, to Sontag, to Sondheim, desecration. The fact they invoke Sondheim makes me mad. To anything taboo. Right, right after Sondheim, they say to anything taboo. Shame. You can Sondheim is not taboo. No, no. He was smart. He's smart. <laughs> and, and he, he progressed the musical theater forward. And then they dare, dare to say to Uda, to As Buda, Hagen. Pablo Neruda, to those three things do not go together at mm -hmm. all. Um, and I would like to say that Uda Hagen would not touch this show. Oh, freak no. nothing specific about it. It's a general wash of, eh. Yes. Me, 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 me. Yeah, that's exactly it. That that is exactly it, and that and that's what the song is. The song doesn't fit in the show. It's it's just a random anthem that Jonathan Larson had to throw in there for some reason. But and it, it's pretentious, and it makes it, it it glorifies this bohemian lifestyle. That I'm like, it shouldn't be glorified. It is a horrible, struggling lifestyle that people have to live in every day. And it's not, and, and, and I guarantee if they had their choice, they probably wouldn't want to live in a tent village. And and that's that's a big talk point about that too is mm. like there are people that don't choose to live like this like that this is the situation that they're in mm -hmm. a lot of the characters in this musical are like no I'm choosing to be the struggling artist like yeah mm -hmm. yeah I, I don't want to go without dinner this week that's fine like mm -hmm. it's the total opposite man I said I love I said I love this musical but now I'm kind of like Yes! <laughs> we, don't, we don't dislike it, but there, I, I really, I really respect and appreciate this discussion because it's bringing out a lot of problematic elements. No show is perfect. And yeah. this show is definitely on a high pedestal with its legacy, with mm -hmm. uh, its, uh, how it's been interwoven with pop culture. But yeah. you know what? It's got its moments. Jay Maxwell, well, you're going to kick us off here. Should this musical be revived? Does it still, does it still have a place today? Um, well, it was revived, uh, I think, way too soon after it closed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, had, I, I didn't see the off-Broadway revival, um, but I had read that apparently a lot of it was changed, and that was one of the reasons, like a lot of the, the elements of the story was changed, and that was one of the reasons why it closed. But in hmm. terms of it being an actual revival i think it was way too soon um and i i don't know i'd like even even now it's been <coughs> almost 10 years since it closed off broadway i would still wait um and i i just think it's it's an interesting show because i don't want to use the word dated but there are a lot of things in it that are kind of dated um there as we sort of discussed there are things that what happened then when the show premiered are a little bit like the dialogue of it is a little problematic now um mm -hmm. and you know i like i love that this show touches on a lot of a lot of different um i guess real world issues like it touches on addiction mm -hmm. and homelessness and classism and things like that 
Um, but I think the I think the way it's presented needs the narrative of it needs to change slightly. Like it's mm -hmm. it feels it feels a little dated in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, I do I do think it still has a place in theater. Uh, kind of what we were talking about at the at the top of the episode. This really set the stage for how modern musicals would kind of progress. Mm -hmm. You look at yep. shows like Next to Normal or Spring Awakening. Those shows pushed buttons, and mm -hmm. and Rent at the time was considered taboo and and edgy and different because there was no show that was like that at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I think its legacy lives on, but. Mm -hmm if it's going to be revived or if we're going to keep holding it to its pedestal that so many um so many people in the theater community do i think it's important that we that we change the dialogue and like what we mm -hmm. did today yes well said well well said awesome as a recent convert where do you stand on this topic no um I understand that it changed uh, the course of musical theater, and I very much respect that. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. The more we talk about this show, the more problematic I'm finding it, and the more <laughs> the legacy of the musicals that come after it, that I can relate to it, like Spring Awakening, mm -hmm. Evan Hansen, mm -hmm. like again, problematic musicals with um you know white male leads who are very selfish narcissistic mm -hmm. entitled i don't care i don't care and we talk about diversifying our stages and yet in this the um two two gay men are a black and a latinx um couple um they're gay uh and uh, both have aids mm -hmm. um you get a black uh queer les lesbian lawyer who is in an i'm gonna say it an abusive relationship a, a, a negligent relationship with this selfish entitled brat of a human being you have, um, you know, Mark, who is choosing very clearly to live under the poverty line. Mm -hmm. And okay, well, at some point, buddy, you're going to grow up is what I, you know. And then you have Mimi, who is the female lead, who is a Latinx um, stripper uh, addict. So let's, the stereotyping that is, uh, and then you have these two, like the, 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 the poor Roger got AIDS from his girlfriend because she was- Who committed suicide too. Well, yeah, but she was the one who brought it in and, you know, she's vilified. And the one black guy that's actually made something of himself um, is the, the asshole of the piece. So, you know what? We can do better. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to watch Rent. And now I'm taking it off my playlist because now it's pissed me off enough. Yes. Thank you, Mackenzie Horner, for <laughs> ruining my cornfield. <laughs> uh, but I'm at the place of angst. And you know what? Mm -hmm. I have to say, it's nice to be out of angst. 
-hmm. it's nice to make money and not, you know, and you know what, if it changed my art, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know what, it's not about me. There are bigger things in the world to worry about, like other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, yeah, so no, I'm a, I'm actually a big no on this. And let me, what is your answer going to be? Well, you know, I don't like the show to begin with. So I will never fully support being, bringing the show back. I think there are better shows that cover the topic of AIDS, like falsettos, like Angels in America. That should be done way more often. It should be taught to people more often than this show. Like, like even the fact this is done in high schools, I'm like, great. You're giving teens an angsty show, but do they actually get what's being said? Like, do they understand the ramifications of this show? Where like the glorification of, 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 of this of this bohemian lifestyle that they think is so cool, but it's like it's not. It's it, it, I mean, we talked. We just talked about it. So I'm not going to go back down that rabbit hole again. But like ugh, this show, like I get that it's great for young audiences where like they found it was they, they identified with it they got they, like they thought they were being heard like again it's this rebellious piece of work but it's like oh i i i, I, don't, I don't know if it's because of my upbringing where like my parents taught me all about like going out get a job pay the rent contribute to society in a healthy way like I, I, all through high school on weekends i went and mowed the lawn at a hospice because you know that's how i did my community service and that's what i did I talked to the people there as they smoked their cigarettes. Um, like, it, like it was a whole thing. It was lovely. More like, people need to be like you though, Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. And the problem is we're not wired that way. We're wired to be selfish. And I'm starting to believe that more and more as I walk through different areas with this COVID thing mm-hmm. and no one wears yeah. a mask and they come in close contact. I'm like, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> It's not just about you. And we mm-hmm. touched on this yesterday about why teenagers are so vastly uninteresting mm-hmm. to be around. It's because mm-hmm. they're going through this angsty, selfish, gnarly mm-hmm. fog of identity finding. Yep. And you know what? For those of us who have done that, it's kind of like, okay, you'll get through it. Pat on the back, move on. Mm-hmm. And do not put it on a stage. Yeah. That's unfortunately, it's popular with a lot of younger people. High schools mm-hmm. maybe should do it. They should do it and not force their parents to come see it. There you go. Um, I don't know. I don't know if teenagers should give voice to this because it just feeds that do you know what i mean it's the same as spring awakening like you have to look at these uh, yeah i don't know i don't know i'm very cynical about it now thanks mac (laughs) he's like my plan worked my plan did work he started planting the seeds about a month ago and i'm like yeah and it's been haunting me and now it's just upsetting me Victory is mine. Um, But there we go. It is yours completely. Yeah. You thought this was going to be my penance for Titanic, but instead it it became a battering ram for conversion. (laughs) I feel exhausted after this. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there we go. I think that's the the perfect note to end on. Max victory. 
Oh, <laughs> thank you all for listening today. We thank you also for listening to all of season two, our quarantine season, uh, where we've done an entire season's worth of content locked in our own houses. Yeah. Um, yes, we have. Hopefully in season three, we'll be back together to record some episodes in person because that will be lovely. Uh, thank you to Ms. Jessica Maxwell for coming Yay. on as our Yay. guest of the se- uh, uh, of our final episode of the season. We're definitely going to have you back. Yeah, uh, I know that we have awesome. an extra normal scheduled uh, for, for, for an upcoming season. So I'll probably get you on for that one because I feel like okay. that's a great sequel to this considering it was directed by the same man. So... <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. I had so much, I really, really just love this. Oh, we're glad you were here. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. That was nice to meet you. It was nice to meet you too, virtually. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Where can people find you though, uh, Jessica? Like where where can people get in contact with you if they want to continue conversations or talk to you about (laughs) your job? Well, I'm on Twitter and Mm -hmm. Instagram. My handle Mm -hmm. is jstephmax. So it's all my Mm -hmm. names combined. Mm J-S-T-E-P-H-M-A-X. I also have a website where um, I do like a lot of my blogging. um, And that's soundsaboutright.com. And right Mm -hmm. is spelled W-R-I-T-E because we love love a pun. (laughs) Love a pun. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can sometimes hear me on, on your Siri and... Google. Oh, checking it out today. Okay. Do you still my, have your my, YouTube my channel? I, I do. Unfortunately, um, if you want to look at some of my older videos, um, I haven't been as active on it as um, as I used to be just because trying to um, work and, and have that free time is sometimes a little challenging, especially mm-hmm. especially working in the news. So <laughs> it can yeah. be a little overwhelming. And, um, yeah. But I, I do hope to bring it back soon. Um, mm-hmm. Someday in the future, maybe I'll talk about rent. <laughs> <laughs> talk about your experience. Participants anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, next we want to thank our lovely theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld, uh, for composing our theme music. Uh, you once again listen to him on in his tracks, including "Say La Vie" and "Home Decor" on all music platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. If you purchase the tracks on Bandcamp. He is donating those proceeds to Black Lives Matter. So I would recommend do it going that route because that is a great thing to do. Uh, and then you can follow us on all our social media platforms at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Before the Downbeat. As this is the end of our season, we will also be launching our end of the season uh, feedback survey where you can give us your thoughts and opinions about uh, just like what you thought of the season, where we can improve, because we always want to improve. That's a thing. We, we want, want to better our show uh, for that. If you want to see more two-part episodes, because you feel like you get, you get more juicy timbits from that. If, there, if there's a guest you really want us to bring back, let us know. But yeah, so definitely go, be sure to give that survey a checkout. I mean, we, all, we will do a, a reveal of who uh, wins the prize after, after submitting your feedback. Uh, we did one this season. Uh, it was great. Uh, so be sure to do the season two feedback survey. The link will be in the bio of this episode. Uh, also, check us out on YouTube uh, at Before the Downbeat 2. We have our YouTube channel where we post all our episodes there. Uh, it's got a fun bit of intro, clips of us doing our thing. It's a lot of cool things on our 
feed there too. So if you don't want to take the time to download, be sure to just give it a watch on there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and last but not least, check out our Patreon page where we, where you can donate a little bit once a month. And in return, we'll give you some extra good content such as movie musical commentaries where maybe Otto and I will be have to watch a the 2005 film version of Rent. And you can listen to us bemoan watching that. Oh, yeah, that I want to see. Yeah, all that type of good stuff. So check out our, our Patreon page. Lots of good content there. Uh, and then uh, exactly. And then Autumn, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on uh, Facebook or Instagram under Autumn DM Smith or under the business mm-hmm. name Littlewood Smith. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Perfect. And you can find me at, at, all, at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. You also can check out my work with Cup of Hemlock Theater, where I've been hosting uh, theater reviews for the Stratford streaming series, as well as hosting uh, theater roundtables. Uh, and we will be back with season three. And uh, yeah. a hint for you is that this is we're just kicking the season off with a Sondheim show that is his most produced work of the canon so we'll let you try and figure out what that one is took me a lot i but uh so we'll see you in a few weeks with season three uh but until then everybody stay healthy stay safe uh and have a great next few weeks and we'll see you in season three and don't forget to get a job and pay your rent Hey, before, because we're not leaving on a pessimistic note. Okay. um, This podcast is meant to spark conversation. Yes. So go out, debate with your friends like we Mm. do here, Mm -hmm. and really start to look at things through a critically engaged lens. Debate is good. Debate is healthy. I love that. That's a perfect note to end on. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye.